Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics, the Vote 2019 edition. It is day 14 of the election campaign. Coming up, we'll be on the ground with ridings to watch. Uh, in this campaign tonight, the ridings of Cumberland Colchester and Central Nova in Nova Scotia and why these two ridings may tell the story of the battle for support in Atlantic Canada. But our key focus tonight is on climate change and some of the new pledges being made today, some with more details than others. Candidates will be here to debate. And as always, we'll begin with our Day 14 campaign primer. The future of our climate dominated the discussions on day 14 at a campaign stop in Burnaby, British Columbia in the riding of NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. The Liberal leader unveiled a new pledge to achieve net zero carbon emissions in this country by 2050 and to reward companies at the forefront of the effort. We want to drive that solution. That's why a re-elected Liberal government will cut corporate tax in half for zero emissions clean tech companies. Net zero means emitting no more carbon into the air than gets removed. But the Liberal promise has few details and raises many questions. The pledge comes with a commitment to exceed Canada's current emissions reductions targets for the next decade. The Liberals also promise to create legally binding five-year emissions milestones after consultations with climate experts. There's a pledge to provide training funds for energy workers who lose their jobs. But there are no details on penalties for missing the binding milestones, no details on whether the carbon tax will have to be increased and by how much, and no answers on what the target will mean for energy-producing provinces or their workers. Instead, Justin Trudeau took aim at Conservatives. We inherited a target that the Conservatives set and did nothing on. We made our way three-quarters of the way to that target in just four years. And over the next 11 years, Canada will meet and surpass those targets unless we elect another Conservative government. Canadians need a government that will wake up every morning focused on fighting climate change and committed to a better economic future for everyone. The Conservatives have never shown that commitment. They've never shown up on the fight against climate change. The Conservative leader campaigned in southwestern Ontario again today. He scoffed at the new net zero carbon proposal unveiled by the Liberals. One thing we've learned about Justin Trudeau over the last few days is that he is a master of improvisation. Uh, he is uh, proposing plans with no details. Uh, he's making up policy on the fly. And again, today we see, uh, like we did with his plan for cell phones, no details. His plan for health care, no details. And today he's proposed a plan with no details. Uh, one, we do know two things, though. Two details we do know is that under Justin Trudeau, Canada will continue to fall further and further behind because his carbon tax is not working. But the cost of living for Canadians will continue to go up because he is going to raise that carbon tax to massive levels, uh, adding at least 31 cents per litre for gasoline, $1,100 a year for home heating. So excuse me if I don't have any confidence in Justin Trudeau's proposals. Andrew Scheer focused on small business today with a pledge to reverse the decision by the Liberals that increased the tax rate on small business investments and made it more difficult for companies 
to pay dividends to family members. We'll start by repealing Trudeau's tax increases and restoring small business deductions on passive investments. Treating small businesses like big corporations so they can tax them more is just more proof that Justin Trudeau doesn't get it. He doesn't get you. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh campaigned in Winnipeg, where he also made climate change promises, including the creation of a new climate bank to help provinces connect power grids to distribute clean power across the country, and giving Indigenous peoples jobs and leading roles in directing the fight against climate change. And he too dismissed the latest climate promises from the Liberals. Mr. Trudeau and the Liberals are going to promise a lot of things now. They're, they're in the election campaign. Uh, but we can just look back to 2015. They made a lot of commitments then, and they failed. They failed a future generation of young people who are demanding action. They failed young people who are taking to the streets. They failed people who are saying, please do something about climate crisis, because we're afraid of the future. And no one believes that Mr. Trudeau is going to actually follow through on those commitments. That's risky for the cameras. <laughs> and that's the kind of day it's been day 14 of the campaign. You will be hearing a lot about climate change and party promises this week. Here's a look at what the main parties have pledged to do so far. The Liberals promised to reduce emissions 30% by 2030 and net zero by 2050. To continue the carbon tax at $20 per tonne in 2019, increasing $10 a year to $50 a tonne by 2022 to provide training, support, and new opportunities to workers affected by changing climate jobs, and to invest Kinder Morgan pipeline profits in clean technology. The Conservatives pledge to reduce emissions 30% below 2005 levels by 2030, to abandon the carbon tax and tax emitters instead, to put pressure on global emitters to reduce emissions, and to reintroduce the Harper-era home retrofit tax credit for two years. The NDP says it will keep the Liberals' carbon tax, create 300,000 new jobs in green infrastructure, transit, housing, and renewable energy, allow Indigenous communities to play a key role in climate policy decisions, double disaster mitigation funding for climate change-related disasters in Canadian communities, power Canada with net carbon-free electricity by 2030, and oil and gas subsidies, make all new buildings energy efficient by 2030, and retrofit existing buildings by 2050. The Green Party pledges 60% cut in emissions by 2030 and net zero by 2050. Greens promise to establish a cross-party cabinet on climate change, ban fracking, and cancel the Trans Mountain Pipeline and fossil fuel subsidies. Allow no new pipelines, coal, oil, and gas drilling and mining. Retrofit residential, commercial, and institutional buildings to be energy efficient. Develop a national transportation strategy and reach zero carbon public transportation by 2040. Well, let's follow up now on the party promises and the choices for voters on the climate change issue. Sean Fraser is the Liberal candidate for re-election in the Nova Scotia riding of Central Nova. He was the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of the Environment in the last Parliament. Ed Fast is the Conservative candidate for re-election in the B.C. riding of Abbotsford. He was the Conservative Environment critic in the last Parliament. Emily Tammen is the NDP candidate in Ottawa Centre, and Jean-Luc Cook is the Green Party candidate in the Ottawa area riding of Nepean. Thank you all for being here to talk about this important subject. And Mr. Frazier, let me start with you. Uh, your leader announced this pledge today to cut corporate taxes for zero emissions tech companies. But beyond that, we have almost no detail for how you'll take this country to net zero emissions by 2050. 
No details on penalties for companies that don't meet benchmarks. No details on how the target will affect oil-producing provinces and their workers. No details on how much carbon taxes might have to rise to get there. Shouldn't voters know these questions during the answers to these questions during an election campaign? Uh, look, I think the important uh, place to start is that uh, we know climate change is real and requires urgent action. Uh, I was absolutely thrilled uh, when I saw the announcement today that we're going to be moving to a net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Uh, this is the gold standard in the modern conversation about what it takes to fight climate change. And it's going to help position Canada, if the Liberal government's re-elected, as a leading voice in the world in the fight against climate change. It's no longer about lip service. It's about actually setting an ambition uh, that we, we can achieve and must achieve. Uh, to your point, uh, the first plank and how we're going to get there was rolled out today with uh, tax cuts for businesses that are actually promoting green technology. And this builds upon a number of the measures that we've already had in place, whether it's the price on pollution, investments in energy efficiency, investments in electric vehicles, investments in green infrastructure and public transit, and the list goes on. Uh, there'll be more to come over the course of the campaign, and it's going to take work to get there. Uh, but we know that this is a challenge we simply cannot fail to achieve uh, because our future depends on it just for ourselves, not just for ourselves, uh, but for our kids and grandkids as well. Ed Fast, why do you think this proposal is bad for Canada? Well, Peter, just listen to Sean. He's saying that his prime minister is now agreeing to a, two, a 2050 target, when in fact the prime minister isn't even meeting our current 2030 Paris targets. Every year since 2016, we've been falling behind, further and further behind in meeting our Paris targets. Now we have a prime minister who has difficulty keeping any promise, making a promise that doesn't have to be fulfilled until 2050. Think about it. He won't be in office then. He doesn't have to deliver on this, but he can't even deliver on a 2030 target. But, but there this is, is bogus. Their, their, their point is obviously, you heard Sean Fraser, they got to start somewhere. So uh, how, how close would the Conservative plan get us to net zero emissions by 2050? Or, or do you believe net zero should even be a goal at this point? We say that our goal should be to meet our Paris targets. And we have said that our Conservative plan, a real plan for the environment, gives Canada the best chance to meet those Paris targets. All right, Emily Cook. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, Emily Tamman. What, what do you think of what do you think of this proposal today? Uh, the NDP's got a climate plan too. Uh, what's your reaction to what you heard from the Liberals? Yeah, I mean, I think your question, to Mr. Fraser, was exactly the right one. I think um, Canadians are getting tired of hearing all the right words and uh, no action and no details to back up those words. We know that we're on a limited time frame to get this right. The Liberals have had a chance and they have failed to deliver. They, they say that we need to act, you know, with all urgency, and then they're expanding our fossil fuel infrastructure at a time that we really need to be transitioning off fossil fuels. Where are you on the, on, on the net zero goal by 2050? Is, is, do you agree with the goal? Absolutely. Even if, in the target, even if we haven't seen the, the nuts and bolts of it? Of course. I mean, we like a lot of what we're hearing. I think the question is this major credibility gap that the Liberals have, and, and I don't think Canadians um, are going to believe that they're going to follow through, as Mr. Fass said. I mean, they're not even on target to meet the weak targets that they set for themselves in Paris and uh, Canadians deserve better our children deserve better and uh, you know I think uh, I, I really think that people are very skeptical about the credibility of a plan that comes with no details and only words right. Mr. Cook the, the Greens have uh, have also a promise of net zero emissions by 2050 so what's your reaction to what you heard from the Liberals today well um, Justin Trudeau gave his plan with no steps and no procedures uh, Elizabeth May can quote her plan to the fifth decimal place uh, you can usually tell when a politician doesn't mean serious business when they don't put uh, steps and procedures and goals and objectives uh, in mind. 
uh, we need to do to carbon the same thing we did to leaded gasoline. We just have to say, after this time, it's over. It's done. And um, yes, a price on carbon is part of that, but of course there has to be more infrastructure development. Um, there must also be uh, incentives for uh, transition to electrical vehicles now. Um, the Liberals are literally greenwashing themselves. All their party platform websites have gone green in an attempt to appeal to people that they are the Green Party and they are not. All right, let, me, let, me, let me go back to Mr. Fraser. Mr. Fraser, I think it, it takes us back here about, you know, whether in this kind of, I think you would agree that to reach that goal, there's going to have to be some transformative change in society. Should, should Canadians be told now during an election campaign what's expected of them, what this transformation will look like? Uh, absolutely. I think Canadians rightly deserve to understand uh, what policies are going to be put in place. But you have to appreciate that this is going to be transformative change across the Canadian economy. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to start today. Uh, we've got to start by making investments like cutting taxes for businesses that are actually going to be making these kinds of investments. Uh, but make no mistake, this is going to require massive investments in uh, infrastructure that helps reduce our emissions, whether it's public transit or improving energy efficiency of buildings. It's going to require that we support workers by investing in a just transition for those who might be in the fossil fuel sector that have skills that are transferable to the new and green economy. There's a massive economic opportunity. Some of the steps are going to be laid out over the remainder of this campaign, and some of them are going to continue to develop as we invest in innovation for the, in, in right. the, uh, the near future. You're, you're, you're... Uh, the fact is, if we don't have an ambitious goal, we know we're not going to get there. I couldn't be more thrilled with the announcement today because it demonstrates to me okay. a willingness to increase our ambition and do what needs to be done to do justice for our planet and for generations to come. What's going to happen to the, the carbon tax? I think people watching want to know, okay, what is it going to mean for, for my family, for my business? What am I going to pay in a carbon tax after 2022? Your, your previous government had said it's going to be $50 a ton in 2022. And I look at this target you set today and... I'm pretty sure you're going to have to jack carbon taxes a lot higher than they are now, aren't you? Uh, there's a number of different policies that can help us get to where we need to be. Putting a price on pollution is, frankly, one of the most effective things we can do. Uh, we know that the last year's uh, Nobel Prize winner for economics won for crafting a uh, plan much like the one that we've implemented. It's been confirmed to be effective by different courts in different Canadian provinces and by virtually everyone who has any equity in the conversation around climate economics. Uh, the fact is there's a number of different measures we have to put forward. When it comes to our price on pollution, the commitment we've made was to implement it accelerating to $50 per ton by 2022 and to conduct a review at that time. That commitment has not changed. We're going to demonstrate based on science, facts and evidence whether it's working and how well it's working in 2022 and then make a decision on where to go from there. There's not been a decision to change it uh, from the plan as, as uh, it was initially announced. We're going to conduct the review so we understand the impact of this important policy and the role that it's going to play and help us get to carbon neutrality. Let me, move to, let me move dead fast. Mr. Fast, go ahead. And what, what do you think we should expect in terms of effects of how the Liberals can get us to this zero, uh, net zero goal by 2050? What, what do you think it means in terms of this transformative change we're talking about? A massive increase in carbon taxes. And the reason I can say that is I have proof in my hands right now. This is a document from the federal government, the Liberal government, going back to November of 2015. It says external modeling starting in 2015, meeting Canadian targets would require a carbon price rising to $100 by 2020 and $200 to $300 per tonne by 2050. That is the plan. That is the carbon tax climate change plan that the Liberal government 
is planning behind closed doors. The document is marked secret, by the way. You can see it. And that is the Liberal plan, taxing Canadians to death. We have a better plan. It's one that shifts the focus from taxation to technology, incentivizing and accelerating the development of technology that is going to help address global greenhouse gas emissions. Okay, let me come back to the studio and, and both of my guests here. It, it, I guess what people want to know is, is, are we having the right conversation in an election campaign around expectations? And targets and goals are fine, but how does a voter make a decision here unless they know what's expected of them? I think, you know, one thing that I'm hearing from a lot of people that they find very frustrating is this, um, you know, liberal and conservative attempt to frame this entire debate about carbon tax versus no carbon tax. And, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, a carbon tax is a very small part of a credible plan to, to get us to meet a reasonable emissions target that keeps us below 1.5 degrees of warming. But when, when Ed Fast talks about $300 and so on in carbon taxes, whether, is that alarmist or is that a number? And he's quoting a liberal document. Well, says, it's a number. It, it, but, it, but is it... A fair number should we be having a conversation with people these days that says you know what it's going to be a lot higher higher but that's the price we're going to have to pay are we having that conversation well, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I would accept that premise. I think, you know, we can invoke strong regulatory measures. We can, like I said, stop expanding our fossil fuel um, infrastructure and start, you know, really transitioning. So, you know, a carbon tax is is a piece of it. But on the time frame that we have, relying on, you know, market solutions alone is not going to get us where we need to be. And so I think, you know, keeping in mind considerations of equity, um, you know, our view would be that uh, the carbon tax is not going to get us where we need to go on its own. Mr. Cook, what's it going to mean for people? At the door, I meet tradespeople and they say, you're the person who wants to increase the price of my gasoline. I say, no, I'm the person that wants this. You don't need to buy gasoline anymore. You're not going to be worried about the carbon tax on your gas because your vehicle won't need gasoline anymore. That is the transition we have to go to. And the parliamentary budget officer um, assessed the Liberals' plan for carbon taxation and it's going to be nowhere near um, adequate to, to meet our Paris targets. Even if it goes up to $240 a ton, there will still be people burning for the sake of getting around and making electricity. We have to go off of that, and we have to have a plan to do it. All right. Uh, time is short today, and I, I appreciate you all uh, giving me your input in this important conversation as we continue to watch this story unfold. But thank you all. Ed Fast in British Columbia, uh, Sean Fraser in Nova Scotia, uh, Jean Cook here in the studio, and Emily Tamman. Thank you all for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Well, a planned televised leaders debate focused on foreign policy has been officially cancelled now because the Liberal leader, Justin Trudeau, is refusing to take part. The Monk debate had been scheduled for October 1st. The three other major party leaders had agreed to attend. Rudyard Griffiths is the chair of the Monk debates and he joins me now. Uh, Mr. Griffiths, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me. Likewise, Peter. The Prime Minister has made it clear for some time now that he would only be doing the two commission debates and another French-language debate on uh, Channel TVA in Quebec. So I, I guess the question is, why did you wait until today to call off your debate? Mm -hmm. We uh, began this process almost eight weeks ago with a formal letter of invitation to all the parties, including the Prime Minister and um, the other three opposition leaders who we invited. That letter indicated that today was the cutoff date for um, a reply. Uh, we had not, uh, over those eight weeks, uh, had any official word from the Liberal, Liberal Party as to whether they were participating in this debate or not. So the clock ran out, and we are unfortunately now in a position where we've had to uh, cancel 
before 2019 uh, the only leaders debate that would have focused exclusively on Canada's foreign policy challenges. Right. Did, did, so I gather then it sounds like you never got a formal response from the prime minister's office. So you, how did you I mean, he didn't answer the, the, the formal request, but you, you must have had a pretty good idea along the way that chances are we're not looking good that he'd show up. We always knew that, uh, the, you know, the challenge would be convincing the prime minister to participate. We were hopeful, though, on the basis of his very strong performance at our debate in 2015. Uh, we all remember at that debate, it, in some ways, uh, a turning point for him in that campaign, establishing his, uh, you know, prime ministerial uh, bona fides. Um, I think that combined with uh, some real foreign policy accomplishments over the last four years, uh, plus compared to the other opposition leaders, his familiarity, his deep knowledge of the international environment, of the key uh, global leaders, uh, all those things I think were real assets or strengths that he could have brought into this debate. And we were hoping that uh, he'd be thinking about them too and uh, his advisors, and that might have been the tipping point to uh, get all of us to yes. Uh, and to have allowed this debate to proceed. But to be clear, there were, there were no discussions with uh, the Prime Minister's office uh, beyond the issuing of the formal invitation. There were never any conversations about how it might or could work. There was just radio silence. We never received the courtesy of a reply. Okay. Uh, earlier this month, uh, as you know, McLean's and CDTV went ahead with uh, their debate, even though the Liberal leader said he wouldn't show up and, and didn't. Uh, we carried that debate here on CPAC, and we were intending to carry the Monk debate as well. Um, I guess some people are wondering, then why not go ahead with your debate without Justin Trudeau, since the other party leaders were willing to show up? Yeah, fair question. I think if we were in McLean's shoes and we were doing a debate that was covering the waterfront of Canadian political issues, from health care to the economy uh, to the environment, then maybe an opposition-only uh, debate would have made sense. But, you know, foreign policy is uh, overwhelmingly the purview of our prime ministers. It's how our system is set up. Uh, Justin Trudeau has had a disproportionate impact in shaping Canada's foreign policy position on the world stage. So I think by our debate and by virtue of being an issue-specific debate, uh, I think that that really um, made it a, uh, regrettably, a fairly easy choice for us ultimately not to proceed on the basis that we wouldn't have the main protagonist that we needed for this debate uh, on our stage to give the public the benefit of a rich, sub substantive and in-depth uh, uh, conversation about Canada's foreign policy challenges. Yeah, let, let me follow up on that. What do you, what do you think is lost uh, to the Canadian voter by not having a leader's debate that is focused solely on foreign affairs? I think one of the great innovations of the 2015 election campaign is there wasn't just our foreign policy debate issue specific. There was also a Globe and Mail debate that was specific on the Canadian economy. And I think, uh, you know, Canadians voters saw value in that because those debates allowed us to go deeper. It allowed us to really pressure test these leaders on a vertical, so to speak, a kind of knowledge policy vertical. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I really do wish the debate commission the best, but it's going to be interesting to see how in a two-hour debate, uh, the single and only English language debate with six leaders on stage and five moderators, you're going to have a substantive and serious conversation about anything, uh, let alone uh, foreign policy.
Uh, let, let me follow up on that. Ju Justin Thoreau suggested the last election saw Stephen Harper uh, try to game the system to make sure that the fewest number of Canadians were watching debates because there were no big consortium debates. Uh, but Justin Thoreau back then took part in all of them. Uh, it, uh, is this new system better? And I think I got a sense of what you're concerned about in it already, but uh, it was supposed to open up the process, and do you think it will? Yeah. Well, Look, I, jury's going to be out between now and when this commission debate happens, and I really do wish them uh, the best in, in delivering the public service that Canadians need in terms of a, a meaningful debate. I, I will say, though, that this is a very peculiar solution that we've come up with. We, we have, in a sense, an incumbent government, uh, a prime minister running for re-election, who, while he was in power, set the rules for the debates that we're now having in the writ period. I, I don't know what you think, but my, I, I don't know, that makes me a little uncertain. I, I'm not so sure it's a good thing that we open up the writ period to, in a sense, uh, I mean, again, hopefully everyone did this with the best of intentions, but there's also political agendas at play. We know this. Uh, to allow a government before the writ period to actually shape and craft an important aspect of how that writ period unfolds, most notably the debates. And I think this prime minister, understandably, for all kinds of political reasons, is using the commission, uh, frankly, as an excuse not to do other debates like the McLean's debate or, or our debate. So the result is that we're going to go from 2015, where we had five debates, three of which were in English, to only three debates, of which only one will be in English. And I think those numbers just tell a story that uh, we've taken a step back and that maybe this commission is not the solution uh, that those, had, uh, those of us who had hoped coming out of 2015 uh, that it would be. All right, and, and, I, and I guess there's some, some concern around this whole notion of cherry-picking. When, when Justin Trudeau says, look, uh, Stephen Harper was gaming, gaming the system, so we're going to have the commission debates, and, and that's the ones I'm going to do, but then I'm going to do this other one over here at TVA that's yeah, not exactly. one of the commission debates. Yeah. If that's the case, why doesn't that open it up to do other ones exactly. beyond the TVA and, debate? And maybe the solution at the end of the day is to have a commission, but let's have a commission that says, okay, you know what, it's not just two debates, it's four debates. I, we don't have to hold the foreign policy debate at the month debates. I'd be happy if the commission did it. We don't have to hold a debate on the economy at the Globe and Mail. Uh, the commission could do that. But why, again, did we end up with only two debates? I think voters have to, two official debates. Why do voters, you know, are, why are they left with that? I think that's a fair question to ask. All right. Uh, well, we'll see how it all unfolds in the next few weeks. Uh, always good to talk to you, Roger Griffiths, Likewise. from the Monk Debates. We'll talk again. Let's do it. Now let's turn our attention to two of the key ridings to watch in this campaign. We're looking at some 50 ridings across the country that could decide the outcome of the election and to help explain the results we will see on election night. Tonight we'll focus on Nova Scotia and the ridings of Cumberland Colchester and Central Nova. In the last election, the Liberals won all 32 seats in Atlantic Canada. Few people expect that will happen again. And these two ridings could give us a good idea of what voters are feeling about the last four years.
These two ridings, Cumberland Colchester and Central Nova, have long been conservative strongholds. That is, except when the Liberals sweep the region, like they did in 1993, and in the last election, when they won every seat in Atlantic Canada. These two seats are key to the Liberals retaining power, but no Liberal MP here has ever been re-elected to a second term. For the Conservatives, these two ridings are central to a path to victory. We all know that Lenore Zahn is more than up for the job. Yeah. Lenore has been an incredible community advocate, dedicated to this community for over 10 years as that MLA. Uh, and the fact is that she's stepping up to keep moving forward with us all yes. in the coming years. Justin Trudeau knows all that. That's why he was in Cumberland, Colchester, in Truro, to support Liberal candidate Lenore Zahn. Until two months ago, Zan was a veteran NDP member of the Nova Scotia legislature. Then the Liberals recruited her after this man, Bill Casey, retired. Casey was first elected as a Tory, he sat as an independent, and then he was elected as a Liberal in 2015. The essence of Bill, listen, people say, you know, you got big shoes to fill, and I look at my feet and I go, yeah, like that's going to be impossible. I, I can't, I can't do that. She's much the same as I am. We're we're people, people. Talking about the election and looking for support, I'm just wondering any concerns or issues you have as a small business operator here? On the Tory side of things, the Conservative candidate in Cumberland Colchester, Scott Armstrong, has already served as the region's MP for four years before Bill Casey returned to politics as a Liberal. Meanwhile, just across the Pictou County line in the riding of Central Nova, the Liberal incumbent is campaigning hard to get yeah, re-elected. Yeah, great. Just a few projects we worked on over the last four years uh, at home and across Canada. But Sean Fraser has been a hard-working MP, and as a parliamentary secretary to the Environment Minister, he's had a high profile. But this riding, too, boasts years of Tory tradition and big-name MPs, from Elmer McKay, who served 22 years as a minister and MP, to his son, Peter McKay, who was an MP and minister for 15 years. Former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney even served as the riding's MP for a year. Now the Tories are looking to country music star George Canyon to take back Central Nova. Now, my wild desire, I fell into a ring of fire. Everybody! But it's not a ring of fire that's consuming Central Nova. It's the fate of the local pulp mill. The aging northern pulp plant employs several hundred workers, but also supports several thousand jobs in woodlots across the province. But the issue is the millions of litres a day of waste water, effluent, which comes from the plant, and is bitterly dividing this riding and the neighbouring one right in the middle of a federal election. For more than 50 years, a mill's effluent has poured into a treatment pond in Boat Harbour, covering the equivalent of 380 football fields. This is Atlantic Canada's largest polluted site. And five years ago, a pipe ruptured, spilling millions of litres. The neighbouring Pictou Landing First Nation set up a blockade. 
The provincial government responded in Halifax, stepping in and passing the Boat Harbour Act, ordering Northern Pulp to install a new way of treating its effluent. The deadline is this January. It was a victory for the First Nation, but the fight is far from over. We are validated in our concerns. You know, all of these years, at the end of the day, Northern Pulp needs to satisfy the regulators. This has nothing to do with Pictoland and First Nation. This has to do with them satisfying all the different regulators around the table to make sure that whatever is going into that water and whatever is going into that air is safe. Northern Pulp's proposed new treatment method involves a pipe to dump treated effluent directly into the Northumberland Strait. The company says if its plan isn't accepted by the province and the federal government, it will simply shut the mill down. In addition to mill workers, that has woodlot owners and thousands of people in the forestry sector worried about their livelihoods. It would make it very difficult to continue. We could probably survive better than the bigger ones because we're only a small operation and we're the closest one to Port Hawkesbury paper, but there's four other mills in the, this area and uh, I can't see any of them surviving. There's 11,500 jobs in this province that are either directly or indirectly tied to our industry and uh, most of those jobs are going to be impacted one way or another, either in a big way as a job loss or in a small way. So, so it is huge if we, if we lose this facility. One of the most powerful groups to weigh in now has been a coalition of fishermen from New Brunswick, PEI and Nova Scotia. The company has been very good at, at rallying the forest We don't have a problem with the forest industry. The forest industry is some of the hardest workers in Nova Scotia. We have a problem with a pulp mill that is releasing toxic affluent into the Northumberland Strait. That's the problem. It's not with the forest industry. But you are talking about the Canada brand here. It's not just the area here. We have a Canadian brand lobster, and that's what we're talking about. So everybody in Nova Scotia should be concerned about this, every fisherman. An environmental coalition has formed around the issue. They want the federal government to take over all environmental assessment of the Northern Pulp proposal. The province says it's waiting for more information from Northern Pulp on 19 crucial questions, but the environmentalists don't trust the provincial government to be thorough or impartial. We call on all four of those parties to unite against an extension to the Boat Harbour Act and no pipe on the strait. And wouldn't that be wonderful to have that solidarity and take that issue off the table so um, that a federal assessment can proceed would also be uh, another request that we would make of those Sean politicians. The Greens and the NDP are solidly behind the environmentalists. As for the Conservatives and Liberals? Until they provide all of the information that can uh, confirm that this is uh, uh, safe, uh, we, we can't let it go ahead. Uh, we have to ensure that the environmental protections uh, are complied with. Uh, the fact is, um, uh, we know that uh, given the provincial timeline that there, we are down to the 11th hour, uh, but uh, that doesn't give us a reason to, um, to choose not to enforce the rules that we have in place to protect our environment. It's the 21st century. Uh, we cannot uh, put our environment in, in the way of irreparable harm. Is this, an, an, is this an election issue which is going to play for one party or for another? Um, because there's a lot of people on both sides on this. There's a lot of woodlot owners, a lot of wood chip owners, there's a lot of transport companies, a lot of people involved who could suffer if the company closes its doors. Yeah, and in fact, they're, they're already suffering. Uh, look, I spoke to a, a young guy the other day who's a student at a, a school in, in Pictou County, and um, he's uh, been subjected to, to bullying and doesn't want to play uh, on certain sports teams uh, because his, his family are, are mill workers. Uh, 
that, that's not okay. Uh, I hope to God that, uh, that there's no parties or candidates that are seeking to uh, inflame the debate uh, for political gain. The divisiveness that has characterized this issue over the past few years uh, is something that's deeply unhealthy. Uh, but uh, my, uh, again, my, my point of view is that we have to ensure uh, that we put the environment at the fore and, uh, and we cannot let uh, a project go ahead if we don't have faith that it can be done safely. Well, right now, right now it's been three and a half weeks, or it's windy up here, yeah. three and a half weeks of gathering as much information as I can, hearing from as many people as I can, not just the doors, uh, but the fishers, forestry, um, uh, Chief uh, Paul from, from the uh, Picto, Picto Landing, and trying to get as much information as I can to not only assess what's happening here, because a lot of people, there's a lot of emotion going on, but to also try to help find a solution. Well, politicians test though, as they're gonna say, you may be elected in 40 days, what are you going to do for us uh, about the situation? Like they're going to next time you go to an all all candidates meeting, they're going to mm -hmm. say, "What is your position on it?" Yeah, and I I need to I need to gather all that info to actually have a position. It would be unfair for me and unfair for everybody for me to just jump the gun and have a position right out of the gate. Um, and as uh, a member of parliament, the biggest thing I need to do is listen to people. For incumbent MP and Liberal candidate Sean Fraser, there's also been another topic of conversation he's had to deal with, those pictures and videos of our younger Justin Trudeau parading around in blackface or brownface makeup. I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that it's, it's clearly inappropriate uh, to be um, uh, wearing uh, any sort of makeup that would paint yourself as a, a different race. Uh, I know the Prime Minister has apologized. I know him to be a, a good and honest man as well, uh, and I'm sure he, he regrets it sincerely. I think the apology was an important first step, uh, but I think it needs to be backed up with measures that actually demonstrate that we, we care about tackling uh, the endemic racism problem that is still rampant across Canada. In terms of the impact on the campaign, um, that's, that's going to be up to the voters, uh, but I, I hope they, they take an honest-to-God look at, at what I stand for, uh, which is equality uh, and freedom from discrimination, no matter uh, the circumstances of your birth. I'm doing good. I'm just sitting up here. It's been a long time since I saw you. <laughs> how, how old was I? That's a long time ago. I, I still feel young. You're with the auxiliary and uh, yeah, I, I was in charge of Pecto Detachment. Oh yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, I still feel young, but no, it's you been... You turned out pretty good. Not too bad, sir, <laughs> not too bad. Coming home now to to run for the MP and, and you know, be the, be the conservative rep here and... Well, I think you're just goes. what this place needs. The issue of George Canyon, country star, running for the Conservatives in Central Nova, has also been the talk of the town. So why did George Canyon, born Frederick George Lays, choose to throw his big country hat into the ring? We didn't expect a phone call three weeks ago when, uh, when they called and said, we know you're a huge supporter and we'd like to know if you, if you would like to be, uh, run for the Conservative uh, Party in Central Nova. I've always had a servant heart. When I was a kid, I wanted to be in the Air Force. Uh, I went to 374 Squadron Air Cadets in Stellarton here in Nova Scotia. And, um, but I couldn't be in the Air Force because I had type 1 diabetes. So I've always just wanted to keep serving, peace officer, volunteer firefighter, even making music to the degree of being able to give back to people. And um, Peter McKay, about 10 years ago, I mean, I've known Peter my whole life, almost uh, a lot of it, and Pete said, you know, the biggest way you could ever serve is to stand up and serve your country in government. 
And I, I kind of agree, but I never thought I'd ever put my name in. What do you say to people, some people, we were just in a Tim Hortons and I heard, heard an old fellow saying, oh, we didn't see him except when he comes back and he wants to run. What about people oh, who say- yeah. They what just about don't see me how much I'm back here. Well, what about people who say parachuted candidate, last no, minute phone call? No, no, not a chance. Um, here's the thing, I don't go ringing, a, ringing a, a, a big church bell every time I'm in the county. That's not why I'm in the county. Uh, what a lot of people don't know, and in fairness to them, I don't really talk about it much, is um, why we, we settled out to Alberta was to live my wife's dreams. She supported mine for the better part of 13 years. She worked three jobs here in the county while I played pubs. Uh, and we talked to Adore, heard one of the pubs I played at in Picto, making 75, 50 bucks on a weekend. Um, we put her dreams on hold of having a horse ranch with the Rocky Mountains. She wanted that since she was a little girl. And when we were blessed in my career, and the good Lord blessed us, um, we were then able to live her dream. So it's, it's never been about, you know, leaving home. I've never left home in my heart. Um, I followed my wife's dreams to allow her to have that. We since have sold the ranch. And, uh, and then when this opportunity, of course, came, when the phone call came, um, we said, wow, you know, amazing that this is all unfolded this way. The raising taxes for families and immigration. So what are the people of Central Nova uh, saying about the issues and, in this election? I think that the plight of the working poor is the most important and probably the most untalked about thing um, in Canada. Actually, the fact that people pay taxes that have barely enough to live on and that people struggle to pay their oil bills and struggle to pay their electric bills. Those are the, that's the reality of the working poor. Andrew Scheer, the Conservative leader, has just announced a cut of $6 billion to the lowest income category for general taxes, for income taxes. Does that get you leaning towards his policies or voting Conservative? Never. I would never vote conservative. I couldn't vote conservative because of its past, because of Mulroney, Harper. I mean, it's for me, um, I could, there are provincial conservatives that I could vote for, but there certainly isn't federal conservatives that I would ever consider voting for. First of all, health care. That's number one. The shortage of doctors, that's a really big deal. The wait at emergencies, that's the biggest of, of all the deals for me. Anything else that you'd like the federal politicians to look at? Yeah, the pipeline. Get it going. What's, what's wrong with them? You know, like they've proven over and over again that's the safest way. So why aren't we getting that? That, that really needs to get done. Okay. Can I ask you if you, no, you don't have to answer, but can I ask you if you're leaning one way or another in terms of who you might vote for? Oh, I'm, I am completely standing straight where I, I'm, I am going for uh, share, for sure. Absolutely. George Canyon in our area. The environment is really a big one for me. Um, I think we have to have a healthy balance between the economy and environment, but I don't think we can, you know, pass up one for the other. Well, generally, uh, being from Atlantic Canada, I, I tend to feel like we, we're neglected down here quite a bit, so um, I tend to vote for the uh, candidate that I feel might have the, the best voice in, in Ottawa at the time, and uh, so I'm probably leaning towards a certain, a certain party right now, and, and I think that probably he'll come into power again as, as the member of parliament for a riding and and hopefully it'll be a uh, a majority government where whereas I feel that he is young but he, he he is he's kind of stepping up within the party to the point where I think he might actually get a uh, a, a nice a nice uh, a nice spot this year a, a no, nice portfolio who are you talking about Sean Sean Frazier the main thing that's important for me is uh, 
seeing funding for families. So I have three kids, one of whom is still in daycare. So that's really important to me. The cost of daycare is kind of prohibitive for a lot of folks. Um, so more investment in early childhood education, funding for parents, for daycare, and um, extracurriculars as well. So I've got one that plays hockey. So again, that's another thing that's a big expense for us. Does that have you leaning one way or another when it comes to voting for a party? Um, yeah, I kind of already know who I'm going to vote for. Um, yeah, basically based on uh, their platforms with uh, money for supporting families and things like that. So, Can I ask you, if you who that would be? Uh, I'd rather not say. <laughs> to the east, across the Pictou County line, in the neighboring riding of Cumberland-Colchester, Conservative candidate and former MP Scott Armstrong is making health care his biggest campaign issue. I started going door-to-door -door in January. It's my fourth uh, federal election as a candidate. And without a doubt, health care continues to come up. And it's the first time it's been resonating this strongly in a federal election because a lot of it's provincial jurisdiction, and people do understand that here. But health care is in such a crisis in Nova Scotia right now, they don't care. They want the federal government to get involved and help the provincial government deliver. Uh, it's the aging demographic in the province. And in this riding, we have, it's, it's even worse because we have a huge number of seniors here. They're putting more pressure on the current health care resources we have. And the federal government's going to need to step up and help the province deliver better health care and better access. It's something everybody thinks they're entitled to, and I believe they're entitled to it as well. We have to have good, solid health care infrastructure. And that includes the human resources part of that, too. We need doctors. We need nurses. We need the emergency rooms open, particularly in the rural areas, because they put, when they're closed, they put pressure on our regional hospitals. And uh, we're in a crisis situation now, and people, people uh, uh, there's tens of thousands of Nova Scotians who don't have a doctor, and we need to change that. Under your government, with yeah. Mr. Harper, he basically, he didn't, he froze the great growth rate of growth. Yes. Mr. Flaherty, he, fr he froze the rate of growth, so, uh, and Mr. Shear has also promised to reduce the deficit, to cut the deficit down, so you're, you're suggesting what, you're going to have much more generous transfer payments? So, so. When I was uh, elected, we increased the amount of money the province got every year by 6% of the last year, and I think it was 3 because the provinces right. tailed off their spending themselves. Right. Uh, we have guaranteed in this campaign that if a, a Conservative government led by Andrew Scheer will increase the payments to the province for both the health care transfer and the social transfer by 3% a year every year we're in power. What do you see to people who are on the doorstep during a federal election saying, my biggest concern is health care? I say, me too. I say my parents are aging, my dad's 87, my mom's 81. Um, we lost our family doctor recently. I lost my family doctor. I know what it's like. Uh, so obviously the province needs to do some work to get more doctors here in the rural communities in particular. But I'm very pleased that when I went up to Ottawa um, for the campaign school, I went straight to the health minister and I said, what's going on with the health transfers to Nova Scotia? Did you cut them? Like, what's going on there? And she said, no, no, we're actually giving more money this time than we've ever done before. And I said, and what about mental health and things like that? She said, well, here's the deal. We're, we're raising it 4% each year for the, the transfers for health care. And we're giving an extra $138 million each year for the next five years five years for mental health and home care, uh, plus an extra three million for a one-time deal for this year for uh, addictions, uh, for addictions. So 
As somebody who's an alcoholic who's sober for 23 years, uh, I'm, I'm pleased to hear this. I think there's always more work to be done, and I think we need a national strategy. But it's a good start. Hi, how you doing? Nice, nice to see you again. In Cumberland, Colchester, the issue of Lenore Zan, veteran NDP member of the provincial legislature, running now for the Liberals, has been the source of a lot of discussion in this election. Zan was approached before Christmas by both the federal NDP and the Trudeau Liberals, which set off a lot of political chatter. For the next six to seven months, uh, people would say, Hey, Lenore, are you still thinking about running federally? And I'd say, Yeah, what do you think I should do? And they're like, Go for it. You know, we want you in Ottawa. And then I'd say, Which party? And then they'd go, Oh, hell, I don't care what party you run for. I'll vote for you anyway. But then as time got on closer and closer, and I would say, okay, which party? People would say, I think you have to run for the Liberals. They said, we think you've got a better chance with the Liberals. The NDP is kind of dead in the water here in Cumberland, Colchester. And we don't want to lose you. Like, I had to give up my seat, right? So in order for me to give up my seat, uh, resign, and then take the chance of running federally, that's what we decided to do. Are you saying there was no negative blowback from leaving no. a party, leaving a political organization, leaving all that the NDP represented? Not in this writing, no, no. Uh, there was blowback from the leader uh, and there was blowback from some of the supporters that were in the Halifax region, also some up in Ottawa, but none, none here, no. What do you make of uh, a former NDP or provincially running for the Liberals? Well, I've known Lenore all her life and I have a great deal of respect for her. I think it says more about the local Liberal Association. Uh, the last election, they pulled someone from my party, Bill Casey, out of retirement to run for the Liberals here against me. This time they've gone into the NDP party to pull a candidate. Like, isn't there a, a Liberal from this community and from this association that can actually fill this seat for them and try to run for, for Parliament? Like, you know, they continue to pull people from other parties. It just shows that, that you know, the, the ideology of the Liberal Party doesn't, re doesn't resonate here because they can't find any Liberal to actually win the seat. So, for the leading candidates in this riding of Cumberland-Colchester, what will it take for them to win on election night? I think uh, on election night you'll see that Tory vote come home here in Cumberland-Colchester, and I, I, I do think in going to doors and talking to people, you're seeing our traditional vote is really going to get behind, go out and vote on election day, and I'm, I'm very confident we've got an excellent chance to win the seat in this election. What will determine whether you win in this riding or not? Hmm. Serendipity. <laughs> Fate. I don't know. I'm not sure. People ask me how did I win three times in a row in a conservative writing as an NDP. And I say, you know, I think it was my, my past, my parents, who are well-known and respected teachers. Um, it is my, my mentality of positivity, the fact that I'm always in the community, that I'm, I, I know everybody's names, I make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm a community person, just like Bill. Like, we love people. And I think you have to be a people person in order to win. In the writings of Cumberland Colchester and Central Nova for CPAC, I'm Martin Stringer. Peter Van Dusen uh, following along with you now with continuing coverage here on Primetime Politics of Vote 2019. And uh, let's take you to a campaign stop now with the Conservative leader 
Andrew Shear. He's in uh, riding in London, Ontario. So let's listen to what he had to say there. So thank you so much uh, for being here. This campaign is off to a fantastic start. We have been. We have been announcing our policies from day one, our positive conservative vision about how we will run a government that lives within our means so we can put more money in your pocket because it's time for you to get ahead. Now, the Liberals, they've been making some policy announcements too, but what we're learning today and in the last few days is that Justin Trudeau is a master at improv. He's very, very skilled at that. He's making up policy on the fly with no details. He came out with a plan for cell phone bills with no details. He came out with a plan for health care with no details. And today he announced an environment plan with no details. Except for two. Two details you can be sure of with Justin Trudeau's environmental plan. One, Canada will continue to fall further and further behind our targets because we all know a carbon tax doesn't work, it's just a cash grab. And the second detail we know is that it will go up. The carbon tax will go up higher and higher, making the cost of literally everything more expensive. Gasoline, groceries, home heating. And that's why job number one for a Conservative government elected on October 21st will be called an act to repeal the carbon tax. Nous avons proposé beaucoup d'idées concrètes pour améliorer le sort pour tous les Canadiens, pour rendre la coût de la vie plus facile pour les gens. We have been announcing a whole lot of policies to make life more affordable. After scrapping the carbon tax, we're going to bring back very popular tax credits like the Children's Sports and Fitness Tax Credit. We're going to help new moms and dads save for their children's education by boosting the RESP so they can get the education they need to succeed in life. And we're going to stop the governments from spending billions of dollars in corporate welfare to highly profitable companies like Loblaws. And we're going to put that money back in the pockets of Canadians. And we're going to lower taxes for small businesses by repealing the liberal attack on small businesses that we saw two years ago. We're going to make housing more affordable by bringing back 30-year amortizations for young couples purchasing their new home. We're going to make maternity leave benefits tax-free for new moms so that they can spend time with their loved ones in the first few months after birth. And we're going to get back to balanced budgets because we all know as Conservatives that these massive deficits that Justin Trudeau keeps piling up makes more and more of your tax dollar go to spending money on the debt, on the interest on that debt. That's money that could go to better services or to more tax cuts. So we have a responsible plan. Thank you. So we have a responsible plan 
to do that over five years so we can get back to balanced budgets. We're going to stop spending billions of dollars on corporate welfare. And, sir, the campaign still has over 20 days left, 29 days left, and you'll see a fully costed platform that shows exactly how we do that. Wow, we maintain increases to core services like health care and education. That's a conservative plan to make life better for all Canadians. Now, we know that Justin Trudeau can't defend his record. We know that. But now even he's realizing it. And that's why he, we just found out again today that he has run away from another debate. Shameful, ladies and gentlemen. Shameful. But it's okay. It's okay. Because Canadians don't need to see him perform at a debate to know that he's broken his promises, that he's lied to Canadians, and that he's lost the moral authority to govern this great nation. So we've got a lot of work to do over the next few weeks. We've got to get Liz elected. We've got it. And all our candidates from around the region, from, yes, like Leanne, like I saw Karen Vecchio, like Sarah. Where's, I saw, there's Karen, there's Karen. And Michael, Michael's here too. Everyone in the London region is here. We're going to win seats that we haven't won in the, in, in, since the last election because so many people come up to me. You know, when I travel across Canada, beaucoup de fois les gens m'approchent et ils me disent, Monsieur Scheer, je m'excuse. A lot of times people come up to me and the first words out of their mouth are, Andrew, I'm so sorry. And I often think to myself, that's a very Canadian way to introduce yourself. <laughs> they say, I'm so sorry, I voted liberal in 2015, but I'm not making that mistake in 2019. So that's the choice this election. Who can you trust to make life more affordable so you can get ahead? We know we can't. Thank you. We know we can't trust Justin Trudeau. We can't tell him to keep his promises. We can't tr trust him to tell the truth. And we know he's going to make life more expensive. So that's the choice where Justin Trudeau will abuse the power of his office to punish his critics and reward his friends, I will restore ethics and integrity and shine a light on liberal corruption. Where he will get pushed around on the world stage and bullied around and being forced to accept concession after concession on trade deals and damage our reputation and our relationship with important allies, I will represent Canada with strength and professionalism and stand up for our interests all around the world. Where he will look our war heroes in the eye, our veterans, our decorated veterans who wore the uniform with such pride, and tell them that they are asking for more than he can give. I will honor their service to their country and clear the backlog and make sure they're getting the benefits they deserve. Where he will run massive deficits where he will run massive deficits, raise your taxes, make life more expensive. I will bring us back to balanced budgets, live, run a government that lives within its means, put more money back in your pocket because it's time for you to get ahead. Now let's go get all our great candidates elected and form a government, majority government on October 22nd. Thanks very much.
All right, Andrew Scheer on the campaign trail. That's all for uh, primetime politics, but stay tuned. More Vote 29 coverage right here, 2019 coverage rather, right here on CFAC coming up straight ahead. Stay with us.